Good morning, Crossroads. That was fun. (laughs) Man, I am am so excited to be here with you guys today. Uh, If I haven't got the chance to meet you yet, my name is Kurt. Actually, it's Kurt if I have met you. Like, that's my name either way, but uh, glad that we're here with you today. Uh, My wife Jennifer is here on the back row. If you want to smile and wave and embarrass her, she's back there in the back. Um, We're excited to be here. We've got our our oldest, Elsie, with us today. She's in the kids' area. Our two youngest are uh, with some family in Oklahoma. But um, we are just so thrilled to be here and be a part of of Crossroads Christian Church and excited for what God has in store uh, moving forward. Before I I jump too far forward here, uh, I just want to take a moment and just say thank you. Uh, You guys, uh, from the last couple of months, ever since Brad uh, made the announcements, have uh, gotten messages and Facebook friends and Facebook messages, emails, text messages, phone calls, uh, just making sure that we know we're we're felt welcome here, and, and we really appreciate that past couple weeks, several of you have uh, you brought us meals, and uh, that's been a blessing, so thank you for that. I know some of you have tried to bring us meals, and, and you know, we've, had a, we've been out or been going somewhere else, and, and, um, but we appreciate that. If you haven't had that chance yet, I'm good with any barbecue place you want to take me to, um, <laughs> and, and honestly, the next couple weeks, my schedule's wide open, so just give me a call, and we'll go, we'll go do that, but no, we're excited uh, to be here and excited to be a part of Crossroads moving forward. I've got a question for you <clears throat> as we move forward. And I want you to think back because this question is probably more of a past tense than a, than a, a current, uh, you know, present tense. How many of you enjoy, or at least enjoyed at one point in life, climbing trees? Most of us, right? Um, I loved it. Um, I still kind of like it, if I'm being honest with you. Uh, I had a tree in my grandma's backyard, a big, huge, sweet gum tree that I would climb every time I was over there. I loved it because I could get up above her roof, and I could see, like, all the way down the block to the fire station and the water tower that were, you know, down a little ways from her house. Loved climbing trees as a kid. At my house, we didn't really have good, you know, climbing trees there, but I would always do that one at her house. My kids love climbing trees as well, too. The house we had in Oregon has two uh, ornamental plum trees in the front yard that were big enough for the kids to climb. Elsie, my oldest, she's almost nine, has climbed ever since she could walk pretty much. And she's a really good climber. Like, she can get up in the tree, and, you know, if she gets stuck, like, I could coach her down. Amelie, my six-year-old, is good at climbing and then not getting down, which means I got to get reacquainted with climbing trees the past few years to get up and get her down. My youngest, Titus, can't reach the tree limbs, but he climbs everything else. And he'll be climbing the trees, I'm sure, within the next uh, year or so. I loved it. Here's the second question. This one's a little bit more serious in nature, but it'll kind of go along with the first just a little bit here. To what extent are you willing to go to make sure someone has a clear view of Jesus? Okay, now maybe that's a little bit more geared towards those of you who call Crossroads home or maybe you're a member at another church or you're watching online and, and, and you, you call yourself a Christian. To what extent are you willing to go to make sure someone has a clear view of Jesus? Or maybe I could twist that just a little bit, a better view of Jesus. If you've got a Bible, uh, turn with me. We're going to be in Luke chapter 19 today. If you've got a Bible, if you've got a device, it's up here on the screens otherwise. Uh, but in Luke chapter 19... 
is where we are, are going to camp out for a little bit. And we're going to talk about a very uh, famous story, especially if you spent any time in church as a kid, like Sunday school, VBS, whatever it may have been. Uh, you probably know this story. It's probably like one of the top five or ten stories you remember as a kid. Is the story of Zacchaeus climbing a tree. It wasn't just a total random question. Sometimes they'll do that. But the story of Zacchaeus and the tree. In fact, it's such a famous story, there's actually a song that goes along with it that apparently I'm like the only person who ever grew up in church that didn't know that song. My wife sings it all the time and wonders why I didn't know it, but maybe you know it, the song, Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little... You guys did better than the 8 o'clock, okay? Like, like eight people there knew it, so good job, good job. But that's the story, and we're just going to jump right into the text here because Luke, in the first two verses of this passage, tells us everything that we need to know about the story that's going to come. Here's what he says, Luke chapter 19, starting verse 1, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. We'll pause for a second because, again, Luke has given us all the context that we need here. Anytime you read a passage from the Bible, you pay attention to the context of what's going on in the time and also what's going on in the story. And, and for what's going on in the story, if you look at the end of Luke chapter 19, I've got to flip the page in my Bible, but later in chapter 19, Jesus strolls into Jerusalem on what we call Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry. And so this is at the very end of the ministry of Jesus. He's done pretty much everything he's going to do outside of the Passion Week, and he's strolling through Jericho. Now, Jericho, just so you know, is a very uh, important trade post. Anyone who went to Jerusalem had to pass through Jericho, and so it was busy. And not only was it busy, but it was almost like a, a networking hub for people. Maybe somebody doesn't pass through Jericho, but stories of somebody are going to. We'll file that away. We'll come back to that here in just a moment here. Let's focus instead for a moment on Zacchaeus. Outside of Jesus, Zacchaeus is kind of the main character of the story. Zacchaeus had said he was a tax collector, specifically the chief tax collector. Now in this culture, in this time, Rome had overtaken Israel. Uh, Israel was basically like a colony of Rome, and the Israelites were able to live there, but they were taxed by Rome to live in their own homes. Now, for the life of me, I can't imagine a government that would tax you to live in your own homes, but that's neither here nor there, right? <laughs> and so what the Romans would do is they would hire Jews or Israelites to be the tax collectors. So let's just picture this for a moment here. I'm, I'm the tax collector, but guess what I'm also? I'm your neighbor. I'm your friend. I might be in your family, your son, your brother. Uh, that's what the tax collectors were. They taxed their friends, their family, their neighbors, for this oppressive government. But beyond that, uh, they could take whatever tax they wanted on top of what Rome required. So let's just say for the sake of the story that the tax was 15%. I come to you and say, I need the 20% tax. Well, I'm giving Rome their 15, and I'm sticking the other five in my pocket. I'm not very popular with you, am I? Like, I'm probably not getting invited to the you know, family cookout next week. Okay? And not only that, though, Zacchaeus was the chief tax collector. So he was the boss of all the tax collectors, and he pocketed off of what they were pocketing. So I mean, like, he's on the top of this pyramid scheme, and he's profiting on everyone. So needless to say, Zacchaeus was not well-liked. I'd go so far as to say Zacchaeus is hated, despised. 
he's viewed as the worst of the worst sinners. Tax collectors, you know, there's many times in the Gospels we read about tax collectors and sinners, like, together. Like, they didn't differentiate. Okay, and he's the chief tax collector. He's the worst of the worst. And so his fellow Jews, his friends, his family, his neighbors, they would have viewed him as the least likely to ever get anything special from God. Okay, so those first two verses set up the rest of this story for us. Zacchaeus is hated. He's a miserable, rotten, no good sinner. But verse 3 tells us he wanted to see who Jesus was. Jesus is strolling through town, and Zacchaeus wants to see him. Now, I don't know why he wants to see Jesus. It doesn't tell us this. It just says he wanted to see who he was. So we kind of use a little conjecture here, use a little assumption here. Why did Zacchaeus want to see Jesus? Well, maybe, again, it's Jericho. Anyone who's anyone has passed through Jericho. So whether he's seen him or, or, or met him or not, there's no doubt he knows about him. Like anyone who's passed through Zacchaeus' tax booth has probably been talking about what they've seen Jesus do. He's been doing miracles and he's been teaching for three years. Israel is not a real big country. Like, word's going to get around. And so maybe he's infatuated because Jesus is famous. We can relate to this. Like, we're just kind of naturally drawn to famous people. We just want to see them with our own eyes, even if we're not necessarily fans of them. You all will probably remember about 10 years ago, uh, the tornado that hit Joplin, Missouri. Joplin's about half an hour from my hometown in Oklahoma. And... Um, so we were very close to everything that took place. Ironically, the day of the uh, tornado, my wife and I were up here at a baseball game um, and had to drive around all of the stuff that had taken place down there on our way home that night. But a few days after the tornado, like is always the case with a natural disaster, President Obama came to Joplin to check it out. Like We see this every time there's a disaster. The president comes a few days later and tours it by helicopter and gets on the ground and, and shakes some hands. People who weren't even political fans of President Obama just wanted to go get a glimpse of him because it's the president of the United States. We want to at least see him with our own eyes, even if it's from a couple hundred yards away. Uh, to a lesser degree, meeting somebody famous. Uh, about five, six years ago, we lived in Phoenix, Arizona for a year. I was doing a residency at a church out there. Phoenix, if you're a baseball fan, you're going to know, is like the hub for spring training. Half of the teams, including the Royals, do spring training in Phoenix every spring. And it's also kind of like a good just landing spot for retired players. I mean, the weather's great nine months out of the year, except for when it's 150 degrees in the summertime. But it's great the rest of the year. And so uh, one particular night, we lived in Glendale, Arizona, just at one of the suburbs on the west side. Uh, I went to Safeway to get some groceries. And I'm on the cheese aisle at the Safeway in Glendale, Arizona. And a little context here, I grew up in a small town in Oklahoma. You go to the grocery store there to get cheese, you've got three options. You've got American, because that's like a federal law. You've got to have American cheese in the grocery store, you know, the Kraft Singles. You can get cheddar, and if you want to live dangerously, there's pepper jack, okay? Occasionally, we'd get Swiss, and we're like, man, we're something now. we got Swiss cheese as an option. Okay, but that's it. I'm on the cheese aisle at Safeway in Glendale, Arizona, and there's like two dozen options. So I'm, you know, overwhelmed trying to figure this out. As I'm standing there with my cart, this guy starts walking down the aisle the opposite direction, pushing his cart. He's bigger than me, taller than me, which I know is not saying much, but he's coming towards me, and I'm wearing a St. Louis Cardinals shirt and hat because, full disclosure, I am a huge Cardinals fan. 
I do like the Royals. George Brett was my first favorite player as a kid, so there you go. But I'm wearing my shirt and my hat. He walks up to me, gets like even with carts and stops, and he points at me for like, it seemed like forever. It was probably like a second and a half, but he points at me. You a Cardinals fan? I'm like, I don't know where this is going. But uh, sure, yeah, I'm a Cardinals fan. And then again, there was a, a short pause again. He sticks his hand and goes, I'm Ray King. Okay, now, I'm somebody who I've followed baseball my whole life. At one point as a kid, I could tell you every player on every team, but I've at least been able to tell you all the players on the Cardinals over the years. It took me about a second and a half to register. You're former Cardinals relief pitcher Ray King, former left-handed specialist. You know, that's who he was. So I sat there for like 15, 20 minutes having a conversation with former Cardinals left-handed specialist relief pitcher Ray King on the cheese aisle of Safeway in Glendale, Arizona. And, I mean, delightful conversation, wonderful guy. My life would have been no better or no worse had I never bumped into him that night. I mean, this is a guy who was super friendly, super nice, was never on an all-star team, will never be in the Hall of Fame. In fact, just the casual sports and even casual baseball fan probably has never heard of the guy. He pitched for six teams in 10 years, and I only know that because I looked it up this week. Uh, but that was the conversation. So guess what I do? As soon as I get to the car leaving Safeway that night, I called my dad. Guess who I just met? <laughs> who? Ray King. Who? Ray King, former Cardinals pitcher Ray King. We saw him on TV, remember? Like we're drawn to people who are famous. This isn't like I met Patrick Mahomes or Mike Trout or Michael Jordan, you know. It's Ray King. Maybe Zacchaeus is interested in seeing Jesus because he's famous. Maybe. Or maybe, maybe just maybe, maybe Zacchaeus needs something. Because Zacchaeus is in a position in life where he's, again, he's hated He's despised. He's probably lonely and in a dark spot. He's ostracized from society. And, and yes, it's self-inflicted. Like nobody forced him to be a tax collector, and certainly nobody forced him to be the chief tax collector. But you know that sometimes even though you've made the bad decisions on your own, you're still in a spot and you just want somebody to love you. And you want somebody to care about you. And again, Jericho is a major trade route, so there's probably no doubt that Zacchaeus has heard about this Jesus guy, and he's heard, you know, Jesus, Jesus reaches out to people who are miserable, rotten, no good sinners. He reaches out to those who are lonely and outcast like me. That's what I think. I think Zacchaeus needed him. I think Zacchaeus knew that, and he needed Jesus. And that's why he climbed a tree, because he wanted to see Jesus. And it says in verses 3 and 4, the crowd wouldn't let him. It says this specifically in, in verse 3, that because he was short, he couldn't see over the crowd, so he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, because Jesus was coming that way. Now, I can empathize with Zacchaeus here, because I'm not a very tall guy. Now, I, I should say this, I'm 5'9", and with the right shoes on, I'm 5'10". The national average is 5'8", so technically I'm tall, okay? I just want to put that out there. I don't know why. The whole staff is tall. I don't know why, like, the whole staff is, like, giants over me, but that's neither here nor there. I'll, I'll deal with those demons later, okay? Um, <laughs> but I can, I can empathize here with Zacchaeus. Like, I think one time in my life I got to stand on the back row of a group picture. I was always up in the front, usually on the sitting row at the very front, you know? But I've been to parades, 
And you know how it is at a parade. If you're not very tall, if you're not like in the first two rows of people, it's hard to see. You know, and usually there's someone with a kid on their shoulders, and I'm you know, doing this the whole time, like trying to see around him. That's Zacchaeus in this moment. So you've got a picture like Jesus is walking through the crowd, and the crowd's probably kind of crushing in on him a little bit. Zacchaeus wants to see, and I just picture him like kind of you know, working through the people a little bit, trying to get his way through. Well, they're going to look and see who it is, and when they recognize him, what do you think they're going to do? They're going to stick their elbows out and widen their feet. Like, no, 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 no. You get back there. You don't deserve to be up here. See, that crowd, they don't want this miserable, rotten, no-good sinner getting access to their Lord. I think they're kind of protecting their Lord from the sinner. And it's easy for us, I think, to view this story with hindsight and with this bird's-eye view and be like, man, this crowd was, was so, so wrong. But yet, church, let's be honest. How often do we do the same thing? How often have we, the church, blocked somebody's view of Jesus? Bible college I went to, uh, one of the professors told us a story that broke my heart. But he's, he travels a lot. He, he travels and speaks on behalf of the school. He's, he's written a book, and he's traveled for that. He, he does the, the CIY and the youth uh, convention tours in the summer. So he, he travels, and every time he travels, they go visit a new church when they're on the road. And he told us a story. He, he didn't tell us where, with good reason. But they visited this small church in a small town, and he said, we walked in the door, and he said it was obvious from the first step inside the door what this church stood for, or more specifically, what they stood against. He said, because they had signs all over their walls, and they had like a couple of garbage cans full of signs they would use to picket at rallies and protest on the abortion issue. They were very against it, and specifically very against anybody who would even consider being pro-choice. And he said it was very negative. None of it was positive. It was very negative, very attack-minded. Now, full disclosure, I, I am all for life. I want you guys to know that as I go into this story here. But he said, as we walked in, you could tell the people in the church were friendly to each other. They were talking and forming circles and chatting. He said, they kind of just gave us a quick wave and a hello. We'd never been there before as first-time guests. But he said, you know, we were uncomfortable, and he said, we've been every Sunday in church our whole lives, and, and we were kind of uncomfortable. But he said, I looked over to the side, and there's a bench and a young woman sitting on this bench. And he said, she looked terrified, and she looked overwhelmed, and she looked crushed by the church around her. And he said, we went over towards her, and he said, we got just a few feet, and I saw her eyes, and he, he said, she didn't have to say a word. I knew her whole story right then. He said, I could just read it on her face. This was a young woman who once in her life made a choice that she couldn't undo. And she was a young woman who, because she had made that choice, was starting to probably think and realize, I'm a miserable, rotten, no good sinner. I'm the worst of all sinners. But I've heard this Jesus guy might love me anyway. And he might give me the time of day and he might even welcome me. Even though I've done something that I can't undo and I can't take back. But he said the church all around there was making sure she didn't get a good view of Jesus just by their attitudes and their actions. And he said, we walked over towards her and my wife sat down and tried to put her arm around her and the girl with tears streaming down her face got up and ran out the door. He said, we chased her out the door into the parking lot and we just kind of got her turned around just enough and he said all she could mutter was, I just wanted to come check out Jesus. 
and she ran off. He said, I don't know her story. I didn't catch her name. I don't know what happened in the future. But he said, I can promise you she never came back, at least to that church. He said, I just pray she found a church that would give her a good view of Jesus. Church, we have to be very, very aware that we never, ever block someone's view of Jesus, that we never get in their way just so we can make sure we get a better view ourselves. God doesn't need us protecting him from the world. That's what the crowd did here. So Zacchaeus does what he has to do. He climbs a tree. Now you got to understand something in this culture. Zacchaeus is, despite his profession, a dignified Jewish man. Climbing a tree was way, way beneath him. So undignified. Now, let's be honest, if, if we left here in a few minutes and you walked out the door and I'm in one of the trees out there just hanging out, you're probably like, what in the world did we get ourselves into? Like, <laughs> like this, this is the guy? Really? This is the guy? But probably the worst thing you're going to think is like, man, this dude is weird. You're probably not like, yeah, this is the least dignified person we've ever met. But in this culture, that was undignified. You didn't do that. You held yourself upright. You held your shoulders back. You, you were proper, okay? And Zacchaeus doesn't care because he just wants to see Jesus. And so he's not letting social conviction dictate or social convention dictate what he can or can't do. He climbs a tree so he can see Jesus. And I just want to say something to you. If you're here today, if you're watching online, if you don't know Jesus yet, like, if you're here trying Jesus on for size, maybe you're here today to get a view of him. If that's you, never let anything block your view of Jesus. Don't let anything or anyone, don't let me block your view or anybody else. Climb a tree, be like Zacchaeus, cause a scene if you have to. But get a view of him. Because Jesus is going to notice. He does here in the story. Look at verse 5. It says, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. I, I love this. I love this part of the story. Because Jesus walks right past all of his followers. Like maybe he acknowledges them, maybe he doesn't. I don't know, the text doesn't say. Maybe he gives a quick wave and a high. Maybe he does the elbow thing we do now, you know. I don't know. But what I know is he goes to Zacchaeus past his followers, to this miserable, rotten, no-good sinner. And not only does he, he, he acknowledge him, he calls him by name, Zacchaeus. And he says, I must come over. Like, this isn't a request. He's not like, hey, if you're not busy later, like, uh, maybe throw some burgers on him, we can play some Madden. Like, no, he's like, I'm coming over. So be ready for me. I need to. I must come to your house. I love the story here because Zacchaeus climbs a tree because he wants to get a better view of Jesus and, and find out more about Jesus. And what he finds out is that the Lord of all creation already sees him and already knows all about him. And I love that because it brings me reassurance that no matter where I am, Jesus already sees me and knows me. And no matter how far I try to get away from him, he's going to see me and know me. And the same applies to you. Jesus knows you right where you are, and all you need to do is get a better view of him. We live in a world that is surrounded by chaos and noise. We live in a world that, that wants to distract you with anything and everything other than the truth of the gospel. So folks, just get a good view. Get a view of Jesus. 
Man, if you, again, if you don't know Jesus today, if, if you're trying him on, let me just tell you, it does not matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how far you've run. He still sees you, and he still knows your name, and he's calling you out of the tree to come down to him so he can come be with you right now. You may be like, well, Kurt, you don't understand what I've done. I don't care what you've done. It doesn't matter. Because I can promise you there's some people in this Bible that did a whole lot worse than you and I can ever do. And Jesus called them by name and said, follow me. And they did. We live in, in an unforgiving world. We, we live, you don't have to look very hard to, to know this. We live in a world that will not forget what you've done. And they'll label you with that sin. Now, we see this all the time with celebrities, athletes, with politicians that, that make a mistake or two, and that's what they're known by for the rest of their careers, if not lives. And, and to a lesser degree, it, it applies to us too. But where the world wants to brand you, Jesus wants to claim you. Okay, the world knows you by your sin. Jesus knows you by your name. I don't know about you, but for me, like that's the assurance that I need. Like, that's the promise that I need in my life when I feel guilty for what I've done, when I feel shame for what I've done. That's the good part of this story. Like, that's the good news of, of this, this story in Luke chapter 10. But unfortunately, what comes next is the heartbreaking part of the story. Because where Zacchaeus is called down from the tree and Jesus is showing his love to this sinner, the crowd of followers of Jesus, they don't really see eye to eye here. In fact, it says in verse 7, when they saw it, when they saw Jesus and Zacchaeus interacting, when they saw it, they all grumbled and they said, he has gone in to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. Now let's, let's step into their place here for a moment here. Like let's jump back in time a couple thousand years and step into their shoes. These are the people of God. They're the rule followers. They're the ones who try their hardest to do what God asks them to do. Okay, probably like we do, right? They're not perfect, but they try hard to follow God. And for the past two to three years, they've been following Jesus. They followed him all over Israel. They've, they've watched him, again, raise people from the dead and, and heal the sick and, and, and walk on water and multiply fish and bread to feed multitudes. They've heard him preach that, and teach in ways that they had never heard before. Like, they've followed him everywhere that he has gone. And now that they're close to him, he walks right past them. And he goes to the worst of the worst. And he greets that person. This man does not deserve Jesus' attention, much less an invitation to his home. And that's exactly what he gets. Now, here's the thing, though. We've seen this before with Jesus. Like, this isn't new. Because when Jesus called his disciples, most of them were, you know, good Jewish boys who were fishermen and, and worked with their dads. But one of them, you might remember, was a tax collector. And we saw a similar reaction. A man named Levi, also known as Matthew. You might have heard from him. He wrote part of our Bible. Okay? Jesus calls him from his tax booth, and it says that Levi got up and followed him. And guess what Jesus did that very same night? He went to Levi's house. There's a theme here. And at the same time, when he went to Levi's house, he kind of ruffled some feathers. We read about this in Mark chapter 2. 
Mark chapter 2, verse 15, uh, the, the, the story uh, says this, that, uh, says that while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and the tax collectors, they asked his, his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? I love verse 17. On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it's not the healthy who need the doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. Now, how many of you, when you feel well and there's been nothing wrong for a long period of time, you just go to the ER, get checked out? Like, do any of you do that? <laughs> if you do, there's a word that we'd use to describe that. It's called a hypochondriac, right? No, we don't. Like, most of us don't want to go anywhere close to a doctor's office or ER, even when we're kind of sick, right? Like, we've got to be dragged in there sometimes. That's what Jesus is saying here. Like, just like the doctors and nurses and hospitals exist because there is, is sickness in the world, like, the church is here because there's sin in the world. And we need to reach those who are sick. That's what Jesus is saying here. In, in, in Mark chapter 2, we read this story, and it's the Pharisees who are asking Jesus this question. Now, that's kind of their job. Like the Pharisees, they were the protectors of the law. They were the teachers of the law, and they wanted to make sure that you respected and followed the law, like to a fault, okay? But here in Luke 19, it's the church people. It's like you and me, the people who just are trying their best to do what Jesus wants them to do. They think they've earned the right for Jesus to pay attention to them. Like these are the people who like, Jesus, I show up and serve in kids' ministry every week. Okay, like I come and shovel snow when, it's, when, when the sidewalks need it in front of the church. I take food to, to somebody who just lost a loved one. Okay, I, like, I tithe every week. I don't even complain about the music, Jesus. Like I'm, you know, I'm here. And you walked right past me. And you not only walked right past me, you went to the, the worst of the worst sinners. Like he's not only not giving them attention, he's giving it to somebody who absolutely doesn't deserve it. Now again, let's put ourselves in their shoes for a second. How would you feel if today, right now, Jesus strolled into town? But he didn't come here to tell us, hey, that's a good sermon. Or, hey, that was a good music set. Or, hey, thank you for being here today. No, he walked right past and he might have waved and said hi on his way to Skid Row. Because I have a feeling that's where Jesus would go. I don't think he'd come here and hang out with us today. How would you feel? You'd probably, probably hurt a little bit. Here's why. Jesus is not, like, he doesn't fit in the box we've created for him. And I think despite our best efforts, all of us at least at times are guilty of, of building a box that we want to put Jesus in. Like we want to personalize Jesus just a little bit. And we're not the first ones to do this. I mean, they did this while he was walking the earth. Mark chapter 6, he's, he's teaching in the synagogue in his hometown of Nazareth, a synagogue that he probably grew up learning in. And while he's teaching there, he, he's just kind of blowing them away with what he says and look at their response in, in verse 3. It says, isn't this just the carpenter? Like, isn't this the son of Mary and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? And aren't his sisters here too? It says they took offense at him. See, there's a truth in here 
that we've got to be cautious of. Dallas Willard was a, a famous pastor, preacher, theologian back in the, the last century. He had this great phrase that, that I'll, I'll paraphrase, but he said, God created man in his own image, and man was so kind that we returned the favor. We think about that, I mean, kind of nod and chuckle, but man, if you think about it, that kind of punches right in the gut, doesn't it? Because when I create a Jesus that looks like me and sounds like me, guess what? It's very easy to follow that Jesus. I don't have to try very hard. And not only that, I'm going to look good doing it. Because I, again, this Jesus, I'm doing exactly what he wants me to do because he's who I made him, that, how I want him to be. What happens when every single one of us start doing that? Suddenly, we've got several hundred Jesuses bouncing around here. Folks, let me just give you this, this, this truth. Jesus is not interested in how good you look while following him. He's interested in how you impact others while following him. He said so. He said so. None of the mission statements that Jesus gave us have anything to do with how we look, with our dignity. They have to do with other people. All of them. And he gives us one right here on why he came. He didn't come to the earth so he could come pat us on the back for doing church well. No, don't get me wrong. He enjoys it. And one of these days when we get to heaven, he's going to tell us, well done. But he didn't come so he could pat us on the back for doing church well. No, he says right here why he came to this earth. Luke chapter 19, verse 10, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And folks, I'll just be very honest with you. He is not impressed with any church that doesn't share the same burden. There are his children out there that are out in the world lost, and he wants us to go find them. When uh, we were preparing to move, now if you've <clears throat> seen those U-Haul boxes, that's what we had brought in and dropped off in our driveway. We had six of them brought in uh, to our driveway, which took up our, our whole driveway. And We lived in Oregon on this private road. Like, there was all over the place, these little private drives, and three houses plus an empty lot on our private road. And at the end of our road was kind of one of the main north-south roads that went down to where our kids went to school. Uh, but from our road to the stop sign down there was a half a mile. And about halfway down uh, that half a mile, the houses stopped and there was this pasture with some cows in it. Well, we've got those boxes. We had them for about a week, taking our time, filling them up. And, uh, you know, my wife Jennifer and I were, usually one of us was out there the whole time. Her mom was there too, helping us get stuff packed and, and, and cleaned and ready to go. And uh, on this particular day, I don't remember the day of the week, but it was like 104 degrees. I mean, it, it spiked super hot for early June. Very, very hot that day. And um, we were all in the house for uh, a little brief moment. That didn't happen that often that we were all in the house, but we were all in there getting a drink or eat, to eat or something. Now, a little context here. I told you about my kids earlier. My youngest, Titus, if you have not got to meet him yet, you no doubt will very soon. He's a live wire. Okay, he's, um, and he's quiet, but he's all over the place. He's like a little ninja, okay? Like, you don't really know where he is. You just know he's probably somewhere doing something he's not supposed to be. And he's an escape artist, okay? Like, they were here last Sunday for the first time. I mean, it took him less than one class to figure out how to break out of the three-year-old room. Like, he's just, like, 
old, my uh, oldest, Elsie, comes to me, Titus is, is escaped. <laughs> go find him, you know, like, go, go, go get him. And so because of that, you know those little, like, spinny doorknob child lock things? We put one on the inside of his bedroom door. Don't judge me, okay? <laughs> um, yeah, don't judge me, because uh, if you spend a couple minutes with him, you would do the exact same thing. Um, well, we'd put him in there, we'd shut the door, because Titus could get out our garage. And specifically, he figured out how to climb on top of our dryer somehow and undo the deadbolt into our garage door. And there was like a couple steps down, and, and then he'd go. He let our dog out all the time with this. We have, we've got about a 70-pound Labradoodle named Ozzy, and he would let him out, you know, like every day. And so we would lock Titus in his room with this, you know, spinny doorknob child lock thing. Well, on this particular afternoon... We realized we've been in the house for a while, and it's been about 10 to 15 minutes. We're like, has anybody seen Titus lately? I haven't really seen him. Well, we go in his bedroom doors open, and the garage doors open. And so we did a quick check in the backyard, because that's the one place he couldn't escape from. I mean, our gate was messed up. I couldn't even get out of our backyard. But he wasn't out there. We checked the other bedrooms. He's not there. The garage doors open. We're like, he probably went out front, and we weren't there. And so... We go out, and I immediately start going down our private road. Jennifer goes to our neighbor's house because sometimes Titus would just go help himself and walk right into their house. He's not there, but our neighbor Brandon follows her out, and I'm already down to the end of the road. I've checked the empty lot. I've checked my other neighbor's yard. No Titus. Now, again, context. It's 104 degrees. I'm horribly out of shape, and I'm wearing flip-flops on this day. I turn the corner to look down the road towards the stop sign half a mile away. And as I turn the corner down past the house, as I can tell it's to that cow field, I see this little black dot on the sidewalk that I can tell is my dog, Ozzy. And I start sprinting. In flip-flops, out of shape, 104 degrees. I start sprinting down the road. And I get, I don't know, I'm a couple of houses down already when I see Jennifer behind me turn the corner and she's running. She's already had panic mode set in. I'm not quite there. I've got the urgency my neighbor Brandon sprints the other way, and we're doing this, you know, the head on the swivel thing. We're looking, we're calling his name. I get almost to the end of the houses when Ozzy comes running back to meet me, and I send him back towards, towards Jennifer. Still no Titus. And I turn. I mean, it seemed like an eternity. I'm sure it wasn't. I think I ran about four or five more steps into my sprint, and I see this white car driving down the road. And out both of the front windows, people are just doing this. Not like they're waiting, like they're really frantically trying to get my attention. And I can tell there's a woman driving and a man in the passenger seat. And when I finally stop and I catch my breath enough to know what's going on, there's Titus sitting on this guy's lap in the passenger seat. And Titus, <laughs> he's oblivious. He's playing a game. He's just having a good time. I don't know how far he ran that day. My theory is he chased the dog because that's Ozzy always ran that direction and that Titus chased him. But, you know, what happened was he was probably a little too close to the road. This man saw him and thought, I don't know whose child this is. He's not wearing his collar today, so I don't know where he goes. <laughs> and so he scooped him up. And because it was so hot, at the same time, a woman was driving down the road. They weren't even a couple. They were just, this woman was driving down the road and said, hey, why don't you hop in and we'll drive around to find where, where he goes. And they see a dad running. And I'm sure my face looked more panicked than my heart felt in that moment but we got it. 
And I think about that because, you know, we immediately went into the what ifs. What if, what if this, what if that, what if this? But my what if was, what if I didn't find him two seconds after I started running again? How far would I have run? I mean, I like to think I would have run until my body just gave out and I collapsed. But how far would I have gone? How, how much further could I have run? How much further would my neighbor Brandon or my wife Jennifer have run to find him? You know, if we didn't find him in that moment, we would have been calling the police and calling everybody that we knew in that area to look for Titus. We would have done anything we had to do to find our lost son. And folks, when it comes to the world, these are God's lost children. And as a church, we should share that same urgency and burden to go find them, whatever the cost, whatever it takes. I'm grateful that God was with us that day, but again, I like to think that I would still be looking for him today. Now, a month later, if I wouldn't have found him in that moment, Jesus walks past his followers to a tree with a miserable, rotten, no-good sinner. And he calls him by name. And because Jesus opens his heart to Zacchaeus, he gives Zacchaeus the chance to have a change. But it took Jesus being willing to do that. And church, we need that same urgency and that same burden. That same desire that we're not willing to let any social convention get in our way. We're going to find the lost and bring them home. We hugged Titus a little tighter that afternoon. It only been like 15 minutes. I mean, it's not like he was gone for a long time, just a short period of time, but in that moment, it felt like an eternity. And we held him a little tighter. We put an extra lock on the door of his room. <laughs> we were making sure that, that he knew he was loved. Jesus went out of his way to make sure Zacchaeus knew that he was loved. He doesn't care about the dignity of the moment. He just wants his lost children found. One of my professors in at Ozark used to tell us, you should be willing to do anything, anything short of sinning or causing somebody else to sin in order to share the love of Jesus with somebody else. The church, are we willing to do that? Because I think we need to be. Not only willing to accept the lost, we need to be willing to do what it takes to boost them to give them a better view of Jesus in the process. Because what we see here is that Zacchaeus, when he got a better view of Jesus, we see what happens to his heart. It says this in, in, in Luke 19, verse 8, um, that when, when Zacchaeus came down from the tree, and when Jesus uh, called him, Zacchaeus said this, that he said, Look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. Change of heart. Repentance. Verse 9, Jesus says to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. I think about this because Jesus allowed Zacchaeus the chance to change his heart. And church, we need to do the same. God doesn't need us to defend him. He doesn't need us to, to keep people away. He needs us to invite people in. Nobody, nobody, not even the worst of the worst sinners is beyond the grace and the transforming power of Jesus. I'd say it this way. You never know how Jesus could change someone's life if all we do is block their view of him. So here's, a, here's kind of a, a, a takeaway question. It's actually a two-part question. 
taking notes, you can write it. If, if uh, you journal, I want you to think about it this week. Who is someone in your life that if you're honest, you say, I'm blocking their view of Jesus. Maybe it's completely unintentional. In fact, it probably is. Completely unintentional. Who is someone in your life whose view of Jesus you are blocking? Okay, and then here's the follow-up. You probably know where I'm going with the follow-up. What do you need to do to make sure you can give them a better view? Because folks, when it comes to the lost, we have one of two options. We can be the crowd or we can be the tree. I'm going to pray here in just a moment, and then after that we'll take a time going into communion. But, but as we pray, we're, we're just going to think about this for a moment here. Because I, I know for me, I want to make sure in my life, I'm not doing anything that keeps somebody from coming to Jesus. So as you pray with me, God, we're so thankful for the challenges that you give us in Scripture. The challenge of what we see in this story of Luke 19. And God, just the idea that, that we're going to come across people like Zacchaeus every day. And God, I just pray that in those moments we would be aware of who's around us. That everyone we see, whether it's somebody here at the church or whether it's the miserable, no good, rotten sinner in our eyes. God, we would know this is your child. And that God, everyone we see is somebody you created and that you loved and that you died for. God, I pray that we would have that same awareness, that same urgency to go after the lost. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.